Welcome to the Christian Life Austin podcast. Today we wrap up our two-part Wednesday evening series entitled The Comparison Trap. In part two, we jump into the book of Matthew and hear a parable taught by Jesus. And to finish the series, here is Pastor Mitch Rose. jump right in. We'll be talking about this terrible habit that we all have, and I told you last week, I thought I was the only one that had it, and uh, the, the more I talk to people, and, and uh, the more I realize that I'm not the only one that has that problem, and I thought I would sort of grow out of that, you know, I thought that the stuff that you deal with in high school or in college, you know, that that stuff would sort of get behind you the older you get. The truth of the matter is, sometimes it intensifies. Have you found that to be true in your life? That the older that you get, you know, the more that some of that stuff intensifies in you, you know, you, you didn't know that you were in a competition at work until, until you realize you're in a competition at work, you know, until you get passed over for uh, a promotion, until the guy down the hall gets what it is you felt like you deserved, or, or you didn't know you were in a competition until you had kids, and then you realize that everybody's in a competition for their kids to be better than your kids, you know what I mean? You didn't realize that you were doing that until you had kids. And, um, or pets. How many of you have pets that are like your kids? Yeah, I know you do. I follow you on Facebook. Sure you do. <laughs> and um, you didn't know that you were comparing your dog and his tricks to somebody else's dog and their tricks. And so uh, it's not just us. We, we compare ourselves to other people. And, and we talked last week about what it means to do that. And, and the, the, the basic statement that we said last week is this. And hope you wrote this down. If you didn't, you can write it down again. There's no win in comparison. There's no win in comparison. Why don't you say that out loud? There's no win in comparison. There's just no win to that. There's just no way to go. If I look over there and I see your house and, and, and you look over here and you see kind of what I'm doing or I look and I see where your kids are going to school or I see what you're wearing or I'm comparing myself to where you are, there's just no win in that. There's just absolutely no way to do that. There's no advantage. There's no finish line to that. There's, matter of fact, the, the writer Solomon would say it's like chasing the wind. There's just nowhere to go. Uh, with comparison. There's just no other way to uh, satisfy that and to really fulfill yourself in comparison. It just never stops. And so last week we talked about living in the land of Ur. Ur. Living in the land of Ur. We said that uh, the reason why comparison doesn't work is because everybody's got somebody in their life who has a bigger Ur than you have, right? They have more Ur than you are. They are richer than you are, and she is always going to be skinnier than you are and smarter than you are and taller. Everybody's taller than I am and prettier <laughs> and, and happier. There's always going to be somebody who has more Ur than you have. There's, there's always going to be somebody who has more Ur, and so our tendency is to compare uh, what it is that they have with what I want or what I think. And sometimes it's motivating, but most of the time it's just frustrating when you look at somebody else's ur and you see somebody with a bigger ur. And then there's people who have lesser ur than you have. You know what I mean? When, when, when they're not quite as rich as you, they don't have quite as much as you do. And so then you sort of look down on them and then you start feeling superior ur, you know what I mean, than, than they are. And you, and you know that's not good and you feel terrible about that. You realize that... I'm looking to my right and I'm seeing people who are better than me and have more than me and I'm comparing myself to them. And then I look to my left and I see people who have less than me and I'm, I'm feeling superior to them and, and that's so wrong. And so there's just no win. There's always going to be somebody with more er and less er than you have. And then we said there are a few people in the room who aren't satisfied with just having more er. 
they want to have more est, right? They want to be the rich est people. Don't, don't point at anybody yet. They want to be the rich est people. They want to be the skinny est people. They want to be the tall est people. They want to be the pretty est people. They want to be the smart est people. And, and, and here, here's the thing about that. That may work for a while, listen close, but then you get older-er. And you realize that they are always going to be younger-er than you. And eventually you become the oldest. And you just can't keep up. There's just no win in comparison. There's just no, there's just no stop into that. There's just no win. And so, so last week we landed on this really important question. If you weren't here last week, I wanted you to write this down. If you were here, maybe put this at the top of your notes. Here's the question we said last week. That, and, and here's the truth. Whether you're religious or you're not religious, here's a question that we all have to wrestle to the ground. At some point in our lives, you're going to have to sort of grapple with this question and wrestle this to the ground. And it's, and it's this. What or who, what or who am I going to look at as my reference point to tell me that I'm okay? What or who am I going to look at as my reference point to tell me that I'm okay? What or who is going to be the thing that I decide is worthy enough for me to compare myself to? Because the fact is, I'm going to, and you're going to. We're going to be comparing ourselves, always looking for validation from someone, somewhere, somehow. And so the question is not if, the question is who or what am I going to use as my reference point to know that I'm okay. I want to know that I'm okay. And you want to know that you're okay. If you're a man in the house, you want to know you have what it takes. You know what I mean? That you're okay. If you're a woman in the house, you want to know that you are cherishable and lovable and acceptable. And and everybody does. I do. I want to be lovable and acceptable and cherishable. And we're always trying to decide if we're okay. I want to know if I'm okay. I want to know where you're at in my okay. And so the question is, who... Am I going to look to to determine if I'm okay? And we said last week that it's not okay to look to other people to decide if I'm okay. It's not okay for you to keep looking around and trying to decide your worth and your value and your okayness based on what somebody else has. And so we're always trying to look, am am I with it? Am Am I lovable? And so last week we looked at Solomon in the Old Testament and Solomon had a lot to say about comparison and the comparison trap, and truth is, it was not, it wasn't pretty what Solomon had to say about it. And so, and so, this week we're sort of going to look in the New Testament what the New Testament says about specifically something Jesus said about uh, the comparison trap. But I want to give you sort of a New Testament principle as we kind of start tonight about about this idea of comparison. And here's the truth that I want you to sort of grapple with as you look at this question of who and what am I going to use as my reference point to determine if I'm okay, to determine if what I have is enough, to determine if I'm valuable enough. The New Testament would tell you that the God of the Bible, listen, that the God of the Bible has adopted you and I into the family of God. And that we haven't just become uh, the people of God. And we're not just Christians or believers, but the Bible actually says that when God looks at people who have put their faith in Jesus, He sees them as a child, as a son or daughter. Now, I want you to sort of grapple with this because in the Bible, the New Testament, the Bible says that we've been adopted into God's family. And uh, do you know somebody who's adopted? There's some adoptive parents here. I know there's some adoptive parents here on the front row. Did anybody else adopt? Are you an adoptive parent? Would you raise your hand? Awesome. You, you people are heroes. I absolutely love 
uh, adoptive families. And so when you, when you think about adoption in, in biblical terms, you think about the same kind of adoption that you know, which would be maybe adopting a baby. But in, in Bible days, no one adopted babies. You didn't do that. If there was a baby who was unwanted, that baby was just done away with. You know, there was no such thing as adopting babies. You adopted adults into your family. So if maybe you lost a son, an adult son, and there was another uh, person, another man in the village, you could adopt him into your family. So I don't want you to think that when the Bible says, you know, that we're adopted into God's family, sort of looks at you like this sort of crawling around baby. He says, no, I want full-grown adults. I want people with all their problems and mess-ups and I'm still going to bring them into my family, and I'm going to call them my son or my daughter. I'm going to adopt you with all of the baggage you have, 50 years, 30 years, 45 years worth of baggage. I'm going to adopt you into my family. So we now get to look at God. We get to see God as our father. And maybe this is, here's the deal, maybe this is really hard for you to grapple with, but but when you're, when you're asking yourself, what or who am I going to use as my reference point, the God of the Bible says, I want to be the one that you look to to find out if you're okay. I want what I say about you to be the thing that matters most to you. And if you're going to spend the rest of your life looking for a mirror, because we all are, we're all going to look for a mirror. We're all going to be looking to know if I'm okay. I'm either going to look to you to decide if I'm okay or you to decide if I'm okay or you to decide if I'm okay or if I have enough or if this is okay. Instead of doing that, the Bible says you and I must look to God to know if we're okay. And that how God sees us, listen, determines if I'm okay. And it's the only opinion that matters. It's the only opinion that matters. Because here's the thing about comparison. Here's the truth of the matter. It's never going to just be, it's never going to be exactly what you think it is. We said last week that I tend to judge my life, my mundane, Monday through Sunday, on somebody else's highlight reel, right? I tend to look at your life and just all you're showing me is the stuff that's good and positive. You're not showing me when you hit your husband right in the arm on the way to church. And when you karate chopped your kid in the back of the car. You're not showing that. When he's been wearing that diaper all day and it's dragging the floor down beneath you. And, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, we just want to show pictures when we dress them up, right? And so we tend to compare my normal life with your highlight reel. And it's so frustrating. The tendency is so frustrating. Here's, here's, here's the truth about comparison. Let me just let me take a side note and tell you this. Have you been to your high school reunion lately? Listen. Listen. Somebody said yes. Somebody said I'm not going. The truth is this. Ladies, you're going to go to your high school reunion, your 10-year, your 20-year, your 25-year. I'm going to pretend none of you are going to your 30-year high school reunion. When you go to your high school reunion, listen to me. You're going to look at that girl that you wanted her hair in high school. And she's going to have a weave on and her hair's falling out in clumps. And you're going to have to say, man, look, you, the years have just... Boy, they've just. Boy, they've just flown by, haven't they? Look at you. 
Because the truth is, the things you compare yourself to now in five years won't matter anyway. Next week may not matter anyway. And so the God of the Bible says you've got to find, that's a terrible mirror. You've got to find something that's stable, that will stay, that, will let, that, that that opinion of you will always be that opinion of you, that won't age and get ugly and get fat and gain a bunch of weight and go bald and whatever happens to the stuff you're already comparing yourself to. There's a God who will not change that way. And you and I have to learn to start taking our cue. You and I have to learn to start comparing ourselves to the God who has decided to call us his child. Say amen to that. Here's a statement I want you to write down. Here's the truth. You and I have to get to the point for the rest of our lives where we take our cue about you from the one who made you and who loves you and who redeems you. We have to take our cue from the one who made us and loves us and redeemed us. God says, listen, if you'll just look into my eyes and you decide, you decide when you see me the grace and mercy and love, then you'll know you're okay. I'll determine if you have what it takes. I want you to look into my eyes and decide if you're lovable and if you're acceptable and if you're treasurable. And that's a powerful, powerful concept that you don't have to compare yourself to other people who will change and fail and let you down and you'll never be satisfied. But you and I, listen, we have to take our cue about us from the one who made us and loved us and redeemed us. Say amen to that. God would say that's not your mirror. Those people are not your mirror. Looking around is not your mirror. You have to look to God for acceptance and Him alone. As a matter of fact, Solomon would say this. We said this last week from a couple of Old Testament uh, prophets. We said that envy, envy rots the bones. You remember we said that last week? It rots the bones. You ever found somebody that was just rotten to the core? You know what I'm talking about? It probably is envy. Envy rots the bones. It absolutely, it absolutely destroys you from the inside out. And then James, the brother of Jesus, James would write this in the Bible. He said, for where you have envy and selfish ambition... You'll find disorder in every evil practice. He said, everything you do, if it's motivated by envy and ambition, it will turn out evil. Everything that you do. And then Job, he had something to say about this. He says, resentment kills a fool. Resentment kills... It sounds like Mr. T. Resentment kills a fool. And envy slays the simple. It kills and slays. Listen, envy... And resentment, kill and slay. There's no win in comparison. Say that. There's no win in comparison. There's just no way to do it. And so today, tonight, I want to talk about what Jesus has to say about comparison. And so this is sort of how we're going to wrap up this mini-series. Is, is we looked at what the Old Testament says, but I want to see what Jesus says about it. If you have a Bible or you have a Bible application, why don't you turn to Matthew 25. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have a Bible application on your phone or a tablet, you can follow along on the screens. I'm going to read from the New International Version. And we're going to look at a parable now. Uh, a parable, just in case you're new to church or maybe you just don't quite understand what a parable is, a parable is just a made-up story, okay? No, Jesus isn't lying when he tells parables. He's just making up stories. He's just making up a story to illustrate a, a point. He's just creating these stories. And generally, parables are given to make one simple point, just one point. So there's this whole story that Jesus would make up or any teacher would make up while they're teaching, and usually there's just one point at the end of it. Now, preachers like to act like there's eight or nine points in there. It's usually just one, okay? 
It's usually just one simple point. And so Jesus would, would tell parables, and, and in Matthew 25, he tells a bunch of parables. As a matter of fact, a couple of those chapters, 24, 25, 26, he tells a lot of parables back to back to back to back to back. Sometimes when Jesus would tell a parable, he would stop, and he would say, now let me explain this to you, and he would sort of break down what the parable meant. Sometimes he'd just drop the mic and walk off and never tell anybody <laughs> what it meant. And the disciples would just sort of be there scratching their head. And then sometimes uh, the disciples would gather him like off to the side and they'd be like, what? <laughs> what was that? What? T- tell us what that meant. And, and here's, here's what I was talking about. And, and then sometimes he would explain the parable and sometimes he wouldn't explain the parable. Th- this particular parable we're going to look at, Jesus doesn't explain anything. Nobody has a chance to ask him anything. He just sort of goes right from one story right into the next story. He just strings a whole bunch of stories together. And the other thing that you need to know about when Jesus teaches a parable, most of the time they would begin with this sentence, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then he would tell this story. Or the kingdom of God is like, and then he would tell this story. So so you and I are getting a glimpse into what God's kingdom is like when when he tells a parable. You and I in in this parable, we're going to get an understanding of how God views us because the kingdom of heaven is like, and then whatever the story that follows, or the kingdom of God is like, whatever the story that follows. And the principles of a parable apply to all kingdom living. So if you want to know how to live a successful Christian life, if you can apply the principles you find in a parable, then you know how the kingdom works. You know how to unlock things. Have you ever wished you knew how like spiritual things work? You ever think, man, I wish I knew the magic formula, if there was a magic formula. I wish I just knew the formula, you know. And, and maybe you come from a religious tradition that sort of had that. If you'll, if you'll you know, do these three things and then this two things and then this one and a half things and stand on your head and, and do this thing, then, then, then this is the magic formula. Parables are a great insight. You don't have to have a formula. You just have to apply the principle you learn in the parable and you get, you get to unlock the kingdom and the ways of the kingdom. So this is this made-up story. And it's just a really famous parable in Matthew 25. And if you have a Bible with the headings over, you know, that sort of tell you about what's happening. This is often called the parable of the talents. Parable of the talents. And from the version I'm reading from tonight, the New International Version, it's not called uh, talents. Talent is just a measurement of money. So the, the version I'm reaching, uh, reading from tonight just says bag of, of gold. You could have a talent of gold or a talent of silver. I grew up, in and in a, I, I tell you this a lot, I grew up in a really, really hyper-Pentecostal uh, church. And for the first several years of my life, I literally thought that God was talking about talents. You know what I mean? Like, like talents, like singing and playing the fiddle and whatnot. You know what I mean? It has nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's not... God doesn't just give you like, you're the fiddle guy, do that. That's not the way this works. Not the way it works at all. It's just a measurement of money. And so, now I've told you all of that. Why don't we just read it? Matthew 25. So Matthew 25 and verse 14, here's what he says. Again, it, this is Jesus talking, again, it, it is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? The kingdom of God. Again, it will be like a man who goes on a journey who calls his servants, and and here's the key word, if you have your Bible and you you write in your Bible, I want you to underline this word, if you're taking notes, underline this, and entrusted his wealth to them. That's the key word. He did not give them his wealth. He entrusted his wealth to them. This wealthy man's going away and he says to his servants, listen, I'm going to let you manage my finances while I'm gone. I'm going to let you manage my money. And and I'm going to let you manage different amounts of my money. And I expect you to do something with the management of 
my money. I'm not just giving it to you as a gift. I'm entrusting this to you. Matthew 25, 15. Keep reading. To one he gave five bags of gold, five talents. To another he gave two bags of gold. And to another he gave one bag. And then there's this key phrase that sort of really hinges the whole, the whole uh, parable. And it's this. Each according to his ability. So, so the master, like any boss or any manager, any director, any department head, anybody who's leading anything, he looked at the different people and he thought, well, uh, you, you've got a lot of talent and ambition and, and, and managerial skills, you know. You can, you can handle five bags of money. You, you're okay, you know what I mean? You, like like you're, you're coming along and you're learning. You, you can handle two bags of money. You, well, uh, you just started. Yeah. You were late this morning, you barely got out of bed, and you didn't brush your hair. You know what I mean? How about one bag for you? So, so five bags to the guy that sort of has this, and this wealthy guy knows, like everybody else, that these people don't have the same skill set. He, the Bible says he gave them according to their ability. So according to their skill set, listen, according to their skill set, he gave them something, he entrusted them with something to manage of his. Now for the sake of the parable... When you read any parable, here's what you should always ask. Two questions you should always ask. The first one is this, where am I in this story? Because you're in there, okay? The second question you should ask is where is God in this story? Because he's in there, all right? Where am I in this story and where is God? Now, just for the sake of argument tonight, let's assume that everybody in the room is a two-bag kind of person. You know what I mean? Right? There may be some five-bag people here, but like there's probably some one-bag people here, you know what I mean? There's always going to be somebody that has more than you and always going to be somebody who has less than you, right? Two bags, is, it's enough, it's enough. Two bags of gold, I'll take that tonight, amen? Two bags of gold. Matthew 25, 15, then he went on his journey, verse 16. So the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and he gained five more bags. He doubled his money. He went out and invested this money, and over time, because this long period of time goes by, you'll hear that in just a minute, that, 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 that he was able to double his master's money, and he got five more bags of money. Verse 17, so also the one with two bags of money, that's you and I, he gained two more. Same exact percentage. He doubled his master's money. The guy, the guy with two bags, he invested, he worked hard, and, and the next thing you know, he has double what, what the master gave him. Verse 18, but the man who had received one bag went off and dug a hole, in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, when Jesus said that, his audience, like you, everybody kind of goes, oh, <laughs> like surely he knew that that wasn't the thing to do. You know, when Jesus was telling the story, I can just see his audience kind of shake their heads and go, man, we all know that that's not going to end well for the guy with one bag of money, right? We don't know what's coming, but we know that the guy that was entrusted one bag of gold, all he did was dig a hole and bury it. So I'm with you. Maybe he just started, but he, he may have just been lazy, right? Can we give him that? Because <laughs> he sort of just goes out and digs a hole. He, the Bible says he literally digs a hole. And remember, this is just a fictitious story. It, it, it's just made up. J Jesus has made this up, but he's trying to illustrate a point here. So verse 19, follow along. So the guy with five bags doubles what the master entrusted him with. The guy with two bags, you and I, entrusted with two bags, and they double that, and the guy with one bag of gold just buries it in the ground. Verse 19. And after a long time. Now, in the Bible, when you'll see this phrase, after a long time, especially in the New Testament, almost every time it's mentioned, the better translation would be a lifetime. 
after a lifetime. After a lifetime. So this man is gone for a lifetime. So he entrusts his, his servants with five bags and two bags and one bag, and then he stays gone the rest of their life. And they have to wonder, when's he coming back to see how I did with what he entrusted me with? When's he coming? Can you imagine sort of getting up every day and going, I wonder if this is the day when he comes back. Is there any other story that sounds familiar to you like this? Right? I wonder if today's the day when he comes back and asks what I did with what I was given. And so the Bible says after a long, he goes on a long journey, a, a long time means a lifetime. So he goes, uh, after you lived your whole life, and I've lived my whole life, and verse 19 says, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Let me, let me just stop right here and be honest with you. There will come a day when the master returns to settle accounts. Let me just pause here and tell you, when you look around and you see people and you go, why are they getting away with that? How do they get away with that? How does God keep blessing them, what seems to be blessing? How David once said, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, David said, my foot almost slipped. Man, I almost completely fell down backwards. I couldn't believe how the wicked were prospering. But hear me, my dear friends, there will be a day when the accounts are settled. So he settles accounts with them. In other words, he's going to ask, what did you do with what I gave you? Listen, what did you do with what you had? Listen very closely to what I'm asking you. What did you do with what you had? He will not ask the person with two bags, what did you do in comparison to the person with five bags? He will not ask the person with one bag, how did you do in light of the 100% return of the person with two bags? No, no, no. He just asked every single person, what did you do with what you have? What did you do with what you have? What did you, how did you manage what I entrusted you with? Verse 20. So the man that received five bags of gold, he brought the other five and he said, Master, this guy couldn't wait for this day. He's been looking for this day. Is, is he back yet? Is he back yet? Is he back yet? And then he sort of runs to the master and he says, Look, you gave me five bags. Here's five more bags. Verse 20. The man who received five bags brought the other and he said, You entrusted me. You didn't give this to me. This five bag man said, You didn't give me this gold to squander it. You entrusted this to me. And here's how I managed it. I gained five more, verse 21, and his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. In other words, I gave you a little responsibility and you did well, so I'm going to give you more responsibility. You're faithful and trustworthy over this, so I can trust you with more to manage. I wish you would read deeper into this story with me. Verse 22, the man with two bags of gold, just as, just as excited as the man with five. He comes running to the master. He couldn't wait. And to, he came also and he said, Master, you gave me, you entrusted me with two bags of gold and I have gained two more. And his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'll put you in charge over a minute. Come and share your master's happiness. Now at this point, all the Christians in the room are feeling a change kind of in the soundtrack. I wish I had a soundtrack always around my life, you know what I mean? Just kind of following me around, you know, like, 
that Pastor Randy just kind of plays softly, just some... If that was true in this story, right now the Jaws theme just came on. Because the five bad guys come, the two bad guys come, and dragging up the rear is the one bad guy. And I can literally see the one bad guy scratching his head going, where did I bury that bag? Where? Bag of gold, 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 bag of gold. Where did I put that gold? Has anybody seen my bag Gold. So he comes running up to the very last. It's the same exact order. This is the way Jesus tells the story. He just made the story up, but he's, but he's teaching us a principle about the kingdom. And, and the five bag runs, and the two bag runs, and the guy with one bag of gold. He comes up, verse 24, and then the man who had received one bag comes, and listen to the language. Listen, this is so important. His first words are master. This is so interesting to me. He did not say... You have entrusted me. The other two, their first words out of their mouth were, Master, you entrusted me with, you entrusted me with five bags. You entrusted me with two. This was not his first language. His first words this. When he went to the master, the first thing he did is, Hey, listen, before I show you what I've done, I kind of feel like I need to tell you this is this is kind of your fault. Before I, before I tell you what I've done with that bag, of, I, I found it, I did find it, but before I tell you about how I managed it, I kind of want to set the tone here. You kind of set me up for failure. You, 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 this, is kind of your, this is kind of your fault. Verse 24 says, The man who received one bag of gold came and he says, I knew that you were a hard man. This is his first sentence. I knew you were a hard man. You harvested where you haven't sown and gathered where you haven't scattered. He's telling him, I knew you were a bull-nosed businessman. I knew that you, you didn't take any, anything from anybody. I knew that you got all that was yours and then some. You didn't leave any in the margin and nothing on the table. And anybody in my situation would have done what I did. Do you see what he's doing? Yep. He's blaming the master. Before he tells him anything about his return... He's immediately placing fault on, this is, this is kind of your fault. Verse 25. So I was afraid. I'm scared of you. I'm, the Jaws theme. She just did the Jaws theme right here on the front row. I'm scared of you, he says. This is so funny. Have you ever come to God knowing you did something wrong? The first, my little girl's three and a half years old. And she's, she's almost four, she's, she's three and a half and she's, she's, I think she turns 14 next week. She's that, she's, whew. y'all pray. So she, she, she's begun, she's begun that, that sort of deal where uh, uh, she'll get in trouble or, or I'll tell her something and, and then she'll do the opposite and I'll just stand up or look her direction and she'll run to mama and she'll say, daddy scared me. To which I really want to scare her. You know what I mean? Like I, now I'm kind of elevated. Now I'm like, I'm going to give you something to be scared about. You know what I mean? How, how many of you have ever done that? You ever go to God, you know you've done something wrong, and you go, oh, I'm just scared of you. Well, your temper's just out of control. I was afraid, and, and so I went out and hid your gold in the ground, and here's what belongs to you. 
I want you to catch the difference in language. The five bag and two bag people said, you entrusted me with this. And this guy says, here's what belongs to you. He didn't say, here's what you entrusted me with. He said, I'm just giving you back what belongs to you. I'm scared of you anyway. I don't know what you may do to me. This is kind of your fault that I don't have any more than this. In verse 26, his master replies. Now remember, this is just a made up story. Again, I grew up thinking this was real. And he said, you wicked, lazy servant. The word wicked can be translated worthless too. So let's translate it worthless. You worthless, lazy, you didn't do... Listen, the master isn't mad, listen to me, because, because the servant did something wrong. He's mad because the servant didn't do anything. And there are people who follow God all of their lives and don't do something wrong. They just don't do anything. They just never take the next right step. They don't take bad steps. They just never take a step. And so the master comes and he says, you're wicked and worthless. What a wicked, worthless, lazy servant. You didn't do something immoral or illegal. You just didn't do anything. You knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I haven't scattered. You knew this. You knew this about me. And if in fact that's true, the master says, verse 27, you should have put my money in the bank and at least got some interest on my money. You could have at least done something with what I have. And everybody in Jesus' audience is saying, yeah, that's exactly what I would have done. I would have put your money in the bank. If you didn't give me the money, I'd put it in the bank. That's what I'd have done. I'd have put it right in the bank. I'd have gone straight to the bank, put it in the bank, and I'd have given you some. Because God, listen, the master had entrusted them with this. Verse 28, we've got to get through this parable really quick. So take the bag of gold. Listen, take the bag of gold from the one who has one bag. Take it from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Now this seems so, this doesn't seem Christian. You know, this is unfair. Why would you, the rich are always getting richer, right? Isn't that what we say, right? Why would you do this? Why would you, this is why. Every good manager knows if you're the one showing possibility, if you're the one taking advantage of opportunity, I'm going to keep giving you opportunity, right? If you're the one applying yourself, I'm going to give you more chance to apply yourself. Right now, your odds are 100%. So here's another bag. Go make me another 100%, right? Okay, verse 29. For those who have will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And those who don't have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is, boy, this doesn't sound nice. Verse 30. And throw, listen, this is, this is just a made up story. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the first thing we think of is, oh my gosh, you're going to send him to hell? So the moral of the story is if you don't handle money well, you're going to go to hell, right? <laughs> Bow your heads, let's pray. <laughs> oh, oh, listen. He's just a rich guy. He can't send anybody to hell. Don't, I don't want you to think about that. He just means you can't be in this inner circle. Listen to me. You're still a servant. You just don't get to be close to me because you're not using what I entrusted you with. You don't get to be in my inner circle. He said, cast him out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That doesn't mean gnashing of like biting each other. If anybody ever told you that people were going to bite other people in hell, 
Come on now. When you gnash your teeth, you grind your teeth. Ah. You know why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth wherever that servant went? Because people are weeping about missed opportunity and they're grinding their teeth thinking, I wish I would have done better with what I have. And he said, cast him into darkness. And Jesus is this brilliant communicator. And so he he goes on to the next parable. He just just goes right to the next parable. And everybody in the room is going, wait, 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 wait. Beep, beep, beep. You gotta back that up. He did what? He went, he did where? He did now listen, listen to me. If you stop and think about, you know this to be true. The most successful people that you know in this life, they did not, they do not get up every day thinking about what other people have that gives them the advantage. Let me let me say the opposite. You think about people who struggle in their lives. And they get up every day blaming somebody else for their struggle. Let me tell you these two things again. The most successful people you know don't get up every day complaining about what they don't have. And the people who always have less than are getting up every day blaming somebody else for having less. So let me illustrate this to you. Let me show you an illustration. For just tonight, your life is like a bookshelf. My life is like a bookshelf. And everybody in the room has a bookshelf. If you're over here in the cheap seats, you're out of luck. It's like a bookshelf. Everybody has a bookshelf full of something. Everybody has time. Say time. Everybody has time. Everybody wishes they had more time, but everybody has time. Everybody has time to do the things, and some of you have more time than other people have. Some of you have more time left, you're younger, and you have time left on your clock, and some of you don't have as much time. But everybody has time. Everybody's got some sort of education that, that, that you got. It may be formal. I didn't go to college. This is the first time I've confessed this in a, in a public setting. I didn't, go, I didn't go to university. I didn't go to college. None. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. But I have an education. So do you. Everybody has an education of some sort. Everybody has a career, something you do. By the way, I don't paint, in case you're wondering. This is a parable. It's just a made-up story. Everybody has a career. Listen, everybody has a talent. Some gift. Raise your hand, Brother John, in the back. If you need something painted, he does own a paint company. He Everybody has a talent. Everybody's got a career. Everybody's got a family. This is my little guy. His name's Henry. He's asleep or in the nursery or burning something down right now. He's, t- he's, he's 10 months old. It's my little girl. Her name's Hazel. She needs the Holy Ghost right here. She's three. <laughs> this, is my, this is my bride. On, on, uh, this, is, this is my 15 years. This is my beautiful bride, Brandy. And, but listen, everybody's got a family. You may not like your family, but you got a family. Everybody was born by somebody, right? You may just have a donor for a daddy, but you got somebody. Everybody has a family. Everybody has, has a career and some skills. and some, Everybody's got some money. You may not have all the money you wish you had, but you got some money. You may not have enough money, but you've got, everybody has the opportunity. And if you're making up your bookshelf, everybody's got the same thing. Everybody's got plans. Your plans are different than my plans, but everybody's got plans. 
Everybody's got dreams and visions and everybody's got a plan. And then listen, here, here's the one thing that, that, that is so monumental. Everybody's got a story. Everybody's got a story. Inside that, 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 but everybody's got a story to tell, and you put your experiences and your life and, and what you've been through and the stuff you've survived, you, you put that in your story. Everybody, everybody in the room has, has time and has an education and has some skills and, and a career and a job, and everybody's got some sort of family. It may not be the best, it may not be the, everything may not be, everybody's got some kind of plans and some kind of money, and everybody's got a story. Listen, everybody's got a bookshelf. And nobody's bookshelf in this room is like my bookshelf in this. And everybody's bookshelf is different. And if you could change some things about it, you would. And if I could change some things about it, I would. I would I would hope for more time. I would want more money. I would change some of my family, not these, but some I would change some of my story. I would learn how to paint. I would, I, everybody wants some kind of story. It doesn't matter. And here's what Jesus is saying. Listen to me. This is the crux of the matter. This is where we're going to end this whole series on. It doesn't matter what's on your shelf. Listen, it matters what you do with what's on your shelf. What's on your shelf isn't the question. Everybody's got something. Everybody's got something. What you have is not what's important. What you do with what you have is what matters the most. Everybody loves success stories. And, 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 and listen, success stories, you have never heard of a successful person who gets up every day and says, every day I get up and I think about what other people had. And I just compare what I have about what they had. And I would just get up and I would spend all of my days thinking about how other people had more opportunities and better families and more money and more network. And then suddenly I became Bill Gates. No, no, no. That's not what happens. People, as a matter of fact, we like the other stories. We like when people come up and they don't have this and they still make it. How does that happen? Let me tell you how. Because what I have is not near as important as what I do with what I have. Listen. Listen to me. I'm going to give you a way to get out of the comparison trap. You have to. I have to get to the point when I stop blaming God for what's on my bookshelf. We have to get to the point. Listen to me when we stop looking at other bookshelves day after day after day after day and comparing what's on my shelf with what's on your shelf. Well, if I just had more. Well, if this was different. Well, if I was born different in a different family. If I'd have just had those. And the comparison trap is this. It's to say to the master, this is kind of your fault. And every time you compare, listen to me, every time you say, I wish I had their stuff, if I had that much money, if I had what they had, every time you compare yourself, every time you live in the land of Ur and wish you had bigger and more and, and, and smarter, and what you're telling the master is, the first word out of your mouth are, this is kind of your fault. You didn't give me enough. 
you, you, you didn't equip me well enough. And so I only had one bag. What was I supposed to do? It's your fault I didn't finish my education. It's your fault I was born into this family. You're the one who stuck me in this family. I don't even like these people. You're the one who, I don't even want to be here. I don't even want to be a painter. And you're the one that stuck me in a family full of painters. I, I, I don't even, if, if I would have had the opportunity he had. Listen, listen to me. This is the comparison trap. If, if I just had something different on my shelf. The truth of the matter is this. If my story was better, if, if I could just develop more skills, and we blame the master for our lack. And we blame the master and we bury in the ground what he entrusted us with. And we spend our lives peeping at other bookshelves. And the comparison trap is the comparison of your bookshelf to somebody else's. Jesus says, listen, come here, Pastor Randy. Jesus says this, listen to me, don't, I, he's good looking, but look at me. He's married, he's been married 30 some odd years, I don't know. Listen, listen, don't forget what a parable is. It tells you about the kingdom. Listen, the kingdom operates like this. The kingdom operates like this. The kingdom, oper- the kingdom of heaven is like this. The kingdom of heaven does not have people who compare their bookshelf with others. The kingdom of heaven gets to the day, the end of our life, after the long journey, and we stand in front of our bookshelf and we say, this is what you entrusted me with, and this is what I did with what you gave me. Listen, you're not going to be able to get to that day and point your finger at somebody else in the line and say, look at their bookshelf. You're not going to be able to get to that day and say, if, if, if I only had that, and compare yourself, if I just was prettier and, and smarter and richer and taller and if I just had more and if I just... You're not going to be able to do that. You're going to have to give an account and settle the account based on what you have. So there's, there's, there's two things. I want you to write these two things down. We're going to go home. The first is this. For the rest of my life, listen to me, from tomorrow until Jesus returns, for the rest of my life, I have to take my cue about you from the one who died for me He redeemed me. He loves me. He made me. That's who I'm taking my cue from. I'm not taking my cue if I'm okay from you. I'm not taking my cue if I I have enough from you. I'm going to look into the eyes of a God who calls me son. And if he says I'm okay, okay. Take your cue about you from the one who made you and loves you and redeemed you. The second thing is this. Get up every day of your life, listen to me, and celebrate what God has given others and leverage what God has given you. This is how you break the comparison trap. You wake up every day and you celebrate what God has given others and you leverage what God has given you. You celebrate what God has given others. I'm glad his kids are going to Harvard. Good. I'm glad she lost four more pounds. 
I'm glad. I'm glad they get to drive that. I want you to, listen, I want you to go in the parking lot and find the nicest car and wait till they get in it and say, I'm glad you drive that. Come on. I'm going to wake up every day and when God blesses you, I'm going to celebrate what God has given others. When you post on Facebook about your kid walking when he's three months old or whatever he's doing math or whatever he's doing, I'm not going to compare my kid who's slow to your kid. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to celebrate what God has given others. Listen, but I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to leverage what God has given me. I'm going to leverage what God has given me. It's not so much what you have. It's what you do with what you have. It's not what's on your bookshelf. It's, It's what you do with what's on your bookshelf. Now listen, listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. Can you imagine waking up every day and being able to live right there? Can you imagine what it would do to your, to, to your marriage if your husband knew that, that you got up every day and you celebrated what God was doing and you just leveraged what, what, what He gave you? If you weren't making your husband be somebody else or, or, or your wife, if, if she didn't get up thinking she was less than and she had to be more and she had to change because of somebody that you look at or you compare her to. Can you imagine what, what your kids how, how incredible it would be if your kids knew that we're going to celebrate what God's done for others and we're going to leverage everything you got, baby. Right? My little son's 10 months old and his legs are the same length they'll probably always be. You know? If he's shaped like me, that's just what we're going to do. So I'm not going to raise him to tell him you can play basketball because you can't play basketball. <laughs> Dr. Taylor, your son can play basketball. My son cannot. And when your son plays basketball, I'm going to celebrate what God's done for you. Listen, but I'm going to leverage those little stubby legs. He's going to be a mighty man of faith. He's going to be a man of God. He's going he's to extend the gospel to the ends of the earth and take the name of Jesus to the nations. Listen, listen. Because I'm going to leverage what God's given me. You may not like it. You, listen, you may not like it, but this is all I got. This is, this is all I got. This is what's on my shelf. And I'm going to leverage what He's given me. Can you imagine, listen, can you imagine what would happen in the morning if you woke up? Let me tell you what. God would get the ultimate glory and you, listen, you would finally be satisfied. Let's pray. Stand up all over the house. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.